It's Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, and I read My Life and Work by Henry Ford. Welcome to Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here yet again to bring you two terrible books to tell you about how you can apply their lessons for your life and for your writing career and what not to do. Uh, And one of them is by Henry Ford. The other one's by Napoleon Hill, who talks incessantly about Henry Ford, if that (laughs) uh, makes you feel any better. We picked two good books that go in concert with each other. Uh, But we're recording here on a Sunday night, trying to get back on our Monday schedule. I will say this is a a quick turnaround. We released on a Thursday. We're back before the next Monday. I know. Uh, We're recording tonight mostly so that I can beat a mega case of the Sunday Scaries because I am going back to work tomorrow for the first time in 14 weeks. Yeah. For the first time in the office in 16 weeks. I have not been in the office since before Halloween. So Squeaks is going to daycare tomorrow and Mama is feeling pretty okay. Pretty okay. Uh, on Friday, I took him to daycare for a little meet your teacher afternoon, and I cried the whole way home. Um, but we're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Everything's fine. Uh, I have no idea if any of my work clothes fit, and instead of trying them on tonight, I ate an ice cream sandwich. So that's about, we're just going to wing it tomorrow, I think, is how it's going to go. That's how I handle <laughs> the uh, Sunday scaries. Uh, also, what else we're going to do on this Sunday night? Like, there's nothing on TV. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not really hip to what what's on in primetime television, what what shows are cool. Is Breaking Bad still on? Jesus. It's the Super Bowl. I was joking. It's the Super Bowl Sunday and we're not watching I know. It. I was playing along. Not that I care about the Super Bowl, but I do know one of the two teams that's in it, the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Los Angeles. Drum roll, please. I wanted to say Raiders, but that's the Oakland Raiders. No, it's the Las Vegas Raiders now, baby. And then I wanted to say the Lakers, but that's a different sport altogether. Um, The Los Angeles. Rams. Rams. The Ooh, LA Rams. Yay. Good job, Susan. You did it. Uh, worth uh, the time. And there's a man named Burroughs who plays for the Bengals Joe that you Burrow. think is funny. Joe Burrow. Yeah. Not Burroughs. Not close enough. He's not a mole. It's close enough. Um, Speaking of close enough, I did that a bunch last episode. I gotta stop speaking doing of. that. Speaking of. Speaking of close enough, let's uh, pretend we finished these books, huh? Uh, I don't have to pretend. I, I did finish them. I made it to the last page, but uh, I can't really tell you what was on <clears> any of the last hundreds of pages. There were some chapters of mine that went pretty in-depth into the manufacturing process of the Model T that I did some pretty heavy skimming, but I did make sure to read closely... Uh, some of the more problematic chapters that we will make sure to talk about. Um, chapters like, how cheaply can things be made? Money, master or servant? And why be poor? 
Oh, Sue, I don't know if you know what book you got me, but it's uh, <laughs> if you're poor, it's because you're bad at being not poor. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Tell me about Napoleon Hill's something How about becoming rich. How to and grow rich. Yeah. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and this is basically the first self-help book. Like this pioneered, pioneered the genre, and you can very much tell. I'm going to, I have three theses about this. Was this one of those oh. circumstances where you, like, you, this was the first one, and so when things that are now tropes come up, you're like, oh, this is the origin story of that trope. Maybe, but it sucks all on its own. Okay. Um, so I have three different ways of looking at this book. The first is that this was 500 cell phone pages, so probably let's call it 250 like Kindle pages. Mm-hmm. 250 Kindle pages of a forward from your dad. Like, not your dad, but like, you know. The generic your dad, dad. The platonic, your dad. Uh, so this was, uh, these sections are what I call, or I'll get to the section titles, but this book is is trying to tell you in the early 30s, early to mid 30s, right out of a Great Depression, about how if you're poor, it's because you don't think hard enough about how you're going to get rich. Ah, yes. So uh, it's it just meanders. It's It was almost like trying to read a rule book for a, a tabletop role-playing game because a lot of the book would reference rules that we haven't really gotten to yet or from many chapters before. Plus, add on top of that, it's the friggin' 1930s, and so their sentences are so long, and they take three paragraphs to say the same thing three times, and it is incredibly annoying to read. Had editors not been invented yet in the 1930s? The the namesake, the titular Ed Itter, had not been born yet. Um, So I have three sections to this book review. Uh, I am basically only going to do it in quotes because what do you like? There's nothing really to say. Yeah, what else is there? It's like it's a self-help book that uh, tries to tell you how to be rich. Um, so the first subtitle is called "Forward, Forward, Forward, Bad Book." Uh, I didn't quote it in time, but he uh, this the this section, by the way, is the quotes that best remind me of the type of things that you would get in a forward uh, that is somehow a different font than the rest of the email and is different in line. How does that happen still? How does that happen that people are on Gmail yet they still send like, this is indented halfway in, but is like red. And I just, I I don't get it. And it's in 48 font, whatever. This is that part of the book where stuff you'd read about in that. For example, uh, I didn't think to quote it because I thought that I would have less to say about this book. Uh, but he maintains that he cut with scissors the word impossible out of his dictionary, and he recommends you do it, too. So it's like, good luck to whatever's on the back of that page, you fucking idiot. What if it's in the middle? Whoa. Um, so other quotes just coming straight from Mr. Hill himself. Um, an educated man is one who has so developed the faculties of, faculties of his mind that he may acquire anything he wants, or its equivalent, without violating the rights of others. Henry Ford comes well within this, the meaning of this definition. Henry Ford! To uh, just illustrate, there's basically like six people he references. Henry Ford, great guy. Thomas mm. Edison, fantastic dude. Napoleon. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. And Andrew Carnegie. It's how, like, all of the modern day how to succeed at business books that always are, like... Bill Gates, Steve Bill Jobs. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Uh, for and some Napoleon. Reason, Jack from Twitter, which that's a bad idea. But anyway, uh, those were the... These are the predecessors for the tech giants, apparently. Oh, yeah. 
like, look at this. Uh, knowledge has no value except that. This is perfect for what you just said. Knowledge can or has no value except that which can be gained from its application towards some worthy meaning like capitalistic end. This is one reason why college degrees are not valued more highly. They represent nothing but miscellaneous knowledge. Um, there, I will have to find it, but there is a quote like that in my book oh, yeah. too what a surprise i bet this dude read henry ford's biography autobiography well he studied thousands of men he says that andrew carnegie said go go make this book and so for 20 years he's been cha- he's been studying the number changes uh thousands of men and women to figure out what makes them a success ah i bet there were lots of women whose input and life stories he valued oh, we'll highly get to, we'll get to the women um, so he he maintains that the only good type of knowledge is something you can make a profit on, which is definitely why if we had listened to that, we wouldn't have gone through such a depression. Hmm. <clears throat> um, we have... <laughs> This is getting so dads. Uh, We have in this country what is said to be the greatest public school system in the world. We have invested in fabulous sums for fine buildings. We have provided convenient transportation for children living in the rural districts so they may attend the best schools. But there is one astounding weakness to this marvelous system. It is free. You can't see my face right now, but I just had to close my eyes. Also, remember that rural school district you used to work in where you couldn't drink out of the water fountains? Really good investment into public schools in rural areas. Yeah, well, it was the 1930s. FDR was still president. (laughs) Um... I have had the privilege of analyzing... I love this one because it's such a, a, a forward-from-dad way of looking at the world. I have had the privilege of analyzing several thousand men and women, 98% of whom were classified as failures. First question, by who? Yeah. In what way? What classification did you use? But going on from there, there is something radically wrong with the civilization and a system of education which permit, permit 98% of the people to go through life as failures. That's what? <laughs> that's the approach you're taking to this is that according to some vague criteria, 98% of people are failures and your beef is with that people are failing this vague criteria and not the criteria itself. Yeah. It reminds, reminds me very much of uh, capitalism cannot fail. It can only be failed, uh, but to a, an absolutely insane extent. Gosh, there are so many similarities between our two books, and I hate it so much. Oh, you want to hear this? Stated briefly, the capitalists are the brains of civilization because they supply the entire fabric of which all education, enlightenment, and human progress consists. Ah, yes. No discovery or enlightenment or any... Nothing good in the world came from any other system other than capitalism. Well, without our brains or muscle, not a single wheel can turn <laughs> Uh, then of course he's talking about America, the home of the free land of the brave. Our capitalist system gets us a bunch of cheap food for great prices. Uh, Mm, right after, right after living through a decade of 25% unemployment, uh, rampant homelessness, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And that cheap food does a really good job of getting to everyone who needs it all the time. Uh, We don't have any problems with, you know, hunger. (laughs) Uh, especially not in 1935. Um, So he talks about uh, people criticizing America, and he says, that, of course, is their privilege. (laughs) If they do not like this country, its capitalistic system, its boundless opportunities, they have the privilege of... Leaving. Clearing out. Love it or leave it, baby. It's been around for a while. If you don't like it, then get the hell out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
figured that was coming. So that's my, that's the forwards. There's a, there's a big overlap with the forward, forward, forward bad book section. And my second uh, section, which is just didn't age well, which is slightly Ooh, yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly different in that it's not really anything that anybody would say today. Maybe some people. Um, but it just is like, oh, that didn't, uh, that, that didn't, didn't happen well. or didn't age well. So his son, he says, uh, was born just like completely without formed ears. Like it, it wasn't like the cartilage on the outside. Like there, there was no hole in the skull mm-hmm. where an ear would go. Okay. And he tells the story of how his son, you know, uh, worked really hard, how he put this image into his son's mind that this does not make you a worse person or any less off. You can be a little capitalist money-making machine like the best of us. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and so he continues to tell this uh, heartwarming story in the worst way possible uh, that, like, this little kid is not just assuming I'm a failure or I'm worthless. Uh, he then goes to sell newspapers on the street without his mom's knowledge or his dad's knowledge, and that's great. But also this one. Child labor is a sign of success. Mm -hmm. The little deaf boy went through the grades, high school and college, without being able to hear his teachers, excepting when they shouted loudly at close range. Like, he could hear the vibrations in his skull. He just didn't have the the, uh, hole in his head, I guess. I don't know how else to explain it here. Okay. Uh, He did not go to a school for the deaf. And this is in the text, in all caps. We would not permit him to learn the sign language. We were determined that he should live a normal life and associate with normal children. And we stood by that decision. I love that the sign of ultimate success is not providing any sort of accommodations for people with disabilities. We wanted our son to live a normal life, so we struck him from nearly all forms of communication available to him. We made him sit through school when he couldn't hear anything unless people shouted at him at close range. Yeah. Uh, on the, on the radio, he's talking about the radio, like the depression has cleared some ways. And so it's time for a change in many things. Crooners and light chatter are light chatter artists who now pollute the air with wisecracks and silly giggles will go the way of all light timbers, whatever that means. And their places will be taken by real artists who will interpret carefully programmed planned programs, which have been designed to service the minds of men as well as provide entertainment. Can you please change our Twitter Twitter bio to light chatters, who light pollute- chatter artists who pollute the air with the wisecracks and silly giggles? <laughs> that is what I would like the tagline of our show to now be. <laughs> That's not terrible. Um, so yeah, the radio really uh, got serious quickly after this book came out. Um, he talks a lot about sex in a really weird way that we'll get back to. That's uh, unpleasant. But he says that all of the best people are motivated by sex. And it was the 1930s. And so the fact that he was talking about sex so frequently and so freely, I was like, wow, this is kind of like up to, you know, this is kind of pushing forwards. Uh, it was always hetero, of course. Naturally, always yeah. Always in the minds of a, a good woman is getting a man to perform or whatever because he wants to bone her and impress her. But then in the midst of naming people, so he like names Napoleon. I'm like, okay, you might have a point because he, he got into some weird stuff with Josephine in those letters or what have you. Uh, he also mentions Oscar Wilde. <laughs> and it's like, um, I'm not going to tell you you're lying, but you might need to expand your definition of who he's trying to bone if you want to use yeah. Oscar Wilde as one of your examples. Uh, you're speaking about women. This is great. Uh, despite the fact that men are... Uh, 
polygamous by the very nature of their biological inheritance. Gross. It is true that no woman has had great as great an influence on a man as his wife, unless he is married to a woman totally unsuited to his nature. If a woman persists, uh, permits her husband to lose interest in her and become more interested oh, in other good. women, it so is usually... So if you get cheated on, it's your fault. Yeah, it is usually because of her ignorance uh, or indifference towards the subject of sex, love, and romance. This statement presupposes, of course... Like, let's not go crazy. That genuine love once existed between a man and his wife. The facts are equally applicable to a man who permits his wife's interest in him to die. So, at least, he, you know, let's be clear about this. Yeah. Uh, this one is about uh, how not, or how having, having money, he's, he's shouting out, like, there's more than one way to be rich, but it's having money that allows you to access those other ways, which is pretty class conscious, I think. Yeah. Um, and so he's trying to say, like, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. If you're jobless, like, you, you have this loss of confidence or whatnot, mm-hmm. which in the system we have built, yes. Uh, however, he's mentioning all the men on the street corner that are bent backed and their hats are pulled down low and their eyes are downcast or whatever. Um. But then he talks about women. Women in the same predicament must be different. We somehow do not think of women at all in considering the down and outers. They are scarce in the breadlines. They are rarely rarely seen begging on the streets, and they are not recognizable in the crowds or by the same plain signs which uh, identify busted men. And to a certain extent, they do have a point that, like, when the media represents homeless people, mm-hmm. women are not usually included in yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, but he continues... Of course, I do not mean the shuffling hags of the city street who are the opposite number of the confirmed male bums. I mean, okay, this goes a place in its last sentence, and I'm really sorry for it, but you just have to get hit with it to have the same experience that I do. Uh, who are the confirmed male bums? I mean, reasonably young, decent, and intelligent women. There must be many of them, but their despair is, is not apparent. Maybe they kill themselves. Oh my god! Okay, this is even further proof that editors had not been invented when this book was written. Remember, this is a book that is supposed to be... At one point, we get a, a, like... Advice on how to do your resume, which I'm like, okay, this is more practical than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And then we get like, why aren't there women bums? They're all dead. Like, (laughs) what book is this supposed to be? I don't understand. Uh, And then this one didn't age well. so horrifying. This one didn't age well because it was always dumb. The fear of criticism takes on many forms, the majority of which are petty and trivial. Bald-headed men, for example, are bald for no other reason than their fear of criticism. What? Heads become bald because of the tight-fitting bands of hats, which cut off the circulation from the roots of the hair. Men wear hats not because they actually need them, but because, mainly, everyone is doing it. You gave into peer pressure, and that's why you're bald. I love the idea of Diogenes bringing in a chicken, and he's like, look, he's wearing a hat. (laughs) Behold, a hat wearer. (laughs) A plucked chicken, excuse me. (laughs) Are you laughing at me, or just the concept of that's why he's bald? All of it. All right. All right, we're going to continue on. Uh, This one threw me for quite a loop. Business is due for a reform. Make no mistake about this. The methods of the past, based on economic combinations of force and fear, will be supplanted by the better principles of faith and cooperation. Men who labor will receive more than daily wages. They will receive dividends from their business, the same as those who supply the capital for business. 
But first, they must give more to their employers and stop this bickering and bargaining by force at the expense of the public. They must first earn the right to dividends. <laughs> it's really great to hear the record scratch so hard on that sentence. All right. <clears throat> we now enter the final thesis and my greatest thesis. This book is just the secret. You mean the secret is just this book? Sure. Either way. Because this one came first. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, But this book is literally just the secret. Manifest thoughts and it will come to you. That's literally the thesis of this book. Okay. Set your mind to thinking a thing and you'll get it. That works out really well if you're already rich and privileged in other ways. Okay. So check out these quotes that are just like they could fit into the secret, the book itself. Some, some poet should have told us that in the weather on which this little earth flows, in the ether, excuse me, in which this little earth floats, in which move and have our being, is a form of energy moving at an inconceivably high uh, rate of vibration, and that the ether is filled with a form of universal power which adapts itself to the nature of those we hold in our mind, thoughts, sorry, I have typos, the thoughts we hold in our minds and influences us in natural ways to transmute our thoughts into their physical equivalent. That's... The could secret. be the back cover of the secret. Yeah. Awake, arise, and assert yourselves, you dreamers of the world. Your star is now in the ascendancy. The world Trying depression brought hard. the opportunity you have been waiting for. It taught people humility, tolerance, and open-mindedness. Lol. Uh, when faith is blended with the vibration of thought, the subconscious mind instantly picks up the vibration, translates it into its spiritual equivalent, and transmits it to infinite intelligence. He makes fun of religion for being a bunch of ghost stories in this book. Yeah. And then talks about how there's a mastermind that you can create with other people. And he does not mean like just, you know, figuring stuff out by committee. And he also talks about infinite intelligence, this undeni- or undefinable pool of creativity and intelligence. It's like, bud. I do really love so, all of the capital letters because you said yeah. those are actually in there and not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love this idea about like religion is a bunch of ghost stories, but there's an infinite intelligence or whatever. And it's the ultimate. And I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. <laughs> yeah. uh, when faith is blended with the, uh, I already said that, uh, the emotions of faith, love and sex are the Ooh. most powerful of all the major positive emotions. Love and faith are psychic related to the spiritual side of man. Sex is, also, doesn't this feel like these paragraphs could be in a row? Yeah, they're Because not. they're not saying anything. No, yeah. this is completely like 50 pages apart at a time. And it's just like, it's not saying anything, so therefore it can be in any order. That must have sort of been the vibe at the time, because my book is very much the same way. Like, yeah, it just goes in little circles. Yeah. Uh, love and faith are psychic, related to the spiritual side of man. Sex is purely biological and related only to the physical. The mixing or blending of three emotions has the effect of opening a direct line of communication between the finite thinking mind of man and, title case, infinite intelligence. Mm-hmm. Faith is the element, once again, 70, 80 pages away. Faith is the element, the chemical, which when mixed with prayer, gives one direction communication with infinite intelligence. Faith is the element which transforms the ordinary vibration of thought created by the finite man of man into the spiritual equivalent. Faith is the only agency through which the cosmic force of infinite intelligence can be harnessed or used by man. And then loving this in all caps, every one of the foregoing statements is capable of proof. And it's the very clear, like, my not involved in human trafficking shirt is raising questions answered by my shirt, where it's like, I can prove all of this. Like, why did you feel like you had to yell that? If... 
One reason to fail. Lack of controlled sexual urge. <laughs> I'll keep it short and sweet. Family. Religion. Friendship. These are the three demons you must slay if you wish to succeed in business. Uh, the human mind is a form of energy, a part of it being spiritual in nature, when the minds of two people are coordinated in a spirit of harmony. The spiritual units of energy of each mind form an affinity, which constitutes the psychic phase of the master mind. So, uh, this all is could be one page of the book, and it would not throw anybody for any yeah, more loops. Yeah, it's just completely rambling yeah. over vaguely connected topics. Some wise acre, is that what they used to call wise asses? I don't know. But some wise acre has said that a genius is a man who, quote, wears long hair, eats queer food, lives alone, and serves as a target for the joke makers. I don't think anyone has ever defined a What? Should, I should have put that up in the forwards from dad section because no one has ever said that. What does that even mean? I don't know. A better definition of a genius is, so put this in the dictionary where you, uh-huh. cu- where you cut impossible Where we out. cut out impossible, yes. A man who has discovered how to increase the vibrations of thought to the point where he can freely communicate with sources of knowledge not available through the ordinary rate of vibration of thought. What? Uh, noun. Yeah, so n- genius. Noun. A man, always a man, who has discovered how to increase the vibrations of thought to the point where he can freely communicate with sources of knowledge not available through the ordinary rate of vibration of thought. This is so deeply boring. Uh, highly sexed people always, I'll Ugh. cheer you up, yeah, highly sexed people always have a plentiful si- supply of magnetism. Uh-huh. Through cultivation and understanding, this vital force may be drawn upon and used to great advantage in the relationships between people. Basically, what he's saying is, hot people have more friends. I mean, Attractive sure. Attractive people get yeah. promoted more. Uh, and then last but not least, this one probably should have gone and it didn't age well, but it's, it's too good to, to pass up. Much less than 100 years ago, men believed the space between the planets to be nothing but a great void, a stretch mm-hmm. of dead nothingness. Now, thanks to the same power of faith, men know that far from being either dead or a void, the space between the planets is very much alive. That is, the highest ah, form of vibration known, excepting perhaps the vibration of thought. And I do love that this guy was like, okay, a vacuum. Pff, have you heard of the concept of the ether? <laughs> and it's like, but the ether is from the 1800s. You're in 1933. But Mick, it's full of vibes. The Germans were inventing rockets at this point. You're talking about ether. It's all full of vibes, though. Yeah, it's all well, about the vibes. Even so the Pope says it's all about you the vibes. Jerk. It was good. So yeah, Napoleon Hill uh, doesn't really have uh, much to say except for uh, a read lot the of secret. rambling about the same thing over and over yeah, again. Read the secret. It's updated for a new audience. Uh, the New Testament to his old. So, yeah. Well, Mick, if you're interested in a lot of out-of-date, barely-connected rambling about a variety of different topics, can I interest you in My Life and Work by Henry Ford? No. Thank you coming for coming out this uh, time. We'll see it. Okay. Yes. What would you like to tell me about? Um, I mean, a lot of it is very similar in a lot of ways to the book that you just read, except this came out like 10 years before. This came out in 1920 something 20 or 22 so it was either right after or right at the tail end of world war one um and if it's the 20s that's right after shit gets interesting at the end we'll get there uh henry ford really believes in work and capitalism and when i say he really believes in work Work do i mean he really believes in labor no i mean he really believes in capitalism uh, there are some things that he says about this topic that get 
a little bit uh, work will set you free kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the next- Wait, Sue, Henry Ford, you're accusing Henry Ford of anti-Semitism? Oh, just you wait. The man who got an award from Hitler himself? Oh, just you wait. Don't worry, we talk about the Jewish question at the end of the book. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> Oh, no. But before we get to that, the natural thing to do is work. To recognize that prosperity and happiness can be obtained only through honest effort. Human ills flow largely from attempting to escape from this natural course. I do love, yeah. If I hold food and shelter away from you until you give me money, you have to get money to get these things. Everybody knows that. In fact, Mick, people who do not work should have the freedom of starvation. We're just going to say the quiet part out loud. Um, Let's see. There can be no greater absurdity and no greater disservice to humanity in general than to insist that all men are equal. (laughs) He really hates the Bolsheviks, government, and welfare. Well, they're one and the same, Susan. Yeah. Um, The point of money, the, the end of money is not to ease, but the opportunity to perform more service. There is nothing more abhorrent than a life of ease. So you shouldn't want to get rich so that you can, you know, enjoy your life. You should want to make money so that you can find ways to make more money. That's the whole point. Yeah. Um, there was one thing that I found legitimately funny when he was talking about, like, basically, so he spent a lot of the beginning part of the book talking about his, like, basically how he created the structure of his factories. And a lot of it was boiling it down to, we make one thing, we make it really well, and we make it as cheaply as possible so that we can sell it to the consumer for less than our competitors. Yeah. And... Reduce expertise. So... And also, like, reduce options. He really fought against the idea of having a customizable product. It was like, no, we make... color, yeah. Yeah, we make this one thing. And this I actually found legitimately funny. Any customer can have a car painted any color he wants, so long as it is black. Yeah, that's a very famous quote of his. Oh, I never heard that before. Um, He, like, at the beginning talks a lot about how when he grew up on a farm, he noticed a lot of inefficiencies, and so there was always, like, that was always something he was looking out for in his life. I do love that this sounds like he's going to his first job interview like his resume said like uh good with people and interests hanging out with my friends Mm -hmm. i look for inefficiencies at the farm at the farm wherever i am i see inefficiencies and i solve them uh now a business in my way of thinking is a collection of people who are brought together to do work and not to write letters to one another that i actually also thought was kind of funny he says cut the meetings (laughs) yes and you know henry ford i disagree with you on a lot of things but that one (laughs) i uh i get you uh, continuing with that, it is not necessary to have meetings to establish good feeling between individuals or departments. It is not necessary for people to love each other in order to work together. There is perhaps no single source of personal dissatisfaction among men than that the title bearers are not always the real real leaders. Kind of agreed with that one a little well, bit I, also. I do love that what we read into that is like, hey, don't make us sing High School Musical at yeah. our PD meetings that really happened to me once. But you know what he means is like, don't try to actually make this a positive like place to work yeah. in any way. Don't even put donuts in the break room because then they'll just spend their time eating instead of fastening bolts to each other for 11 hours. Yeah. Um, here's, here's some other interesting ones. The average workman is more interested in a steady job than he is in advancement. 
Scarcely more than 5% of those who work for wages, while they have the desire to receive more money, have also the willingness to accept the additional responsibility and the additional work which goes with the higher places. So he just like... Is making up stats. And he actively hates the working man, which is unsurprising, <laughs> but... Well, yeah. yeah. Actions speak louder than words. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Uh, there was some stuff where he talks about, like, when the company is in trouble, the answer is not to cut wages. Like, the answer is to cut, like, bloating in other ways and really focus down on the product and even in some ways, like, raise wages when you can. And he talked a lot about how the workers at his factories were paid more than you would ever find at other places. Um, And so that part, I'm like, all right, good for you. Like, he talks about the benefit of paying a high wage and that, like, he didn't have really much turnover. um, Oh, very famously, Detroit automakers were, like, the best place to get an hourly job for a very long time. Yeah, and that, like, he was making the argument to other people in manufacturing and industry that, like, you should pay your people more. Um, So that part I I agreed with. Um, Well, uh, I've read about... 40% 40% of a book about International Harvester. So I just have to ask, do we feel so indebted to Tony for shouting us out so many times that we just made a, an episode yeah, for him? Yeah, Tony, I hope you're listening because this episode is completely relevant to your interests. We even referenced the Pope. Yeah. Just for you, bud. Just Congra- for you. Congrats on the uh, baby. Yeah, congrats on baby number two. Hope you enjoyed this episode while holding a baby in the middle of the night. Uh, now we're getting to a bunch of things that <laughs> anyway, I back just, to anti-Semitism. <laughs> I just labeled yikes. So let me find my quote uh, For the here. record, I assume Tony is anti-anti-Semitic. <laughs> uh, untold numbers of people became the recipients of well-meant social service. Whole sections of our population were coddled into a state of expectant childlike helplessness. We must have self-reliance. Uh, he really hates charity. Um, that's <laughs> <laughs> one thing to hate government in play. Like, I'll just do charity instead. Yeah. I like that. He's like, think about Carnegie, that pussy. <laughs> well, so, and it's so interesting because like there are, so you hear that argument a lot of like, I don't want there to be a welfare state. I don't want the government to be taking care of people. Charity should take yeah. care of it. I should get to choose to not donate my money to charity. Yeah. Uh, Henry Ford says, if we can get away from charity, the funds that now go into charitable enterprises can be can be turned to furthering production, to making goods cheaply and in great plenty. Then we shall not only be removing the burden of taxes from the community and freeing men, but also we can be adding to the general wealth. We leave for private interest too many things we ought to do for ourselves as a collective interest. That last sentence I agree with, but I don't think I'd interpret it in the same way that Henry Ford meant it. He just ended on his antithesis, didn't he? Yeah. I do love that he's like, we can't give money for people to eat. I need machines. I know. We need to make more things. I can't give people money to live in a house. I need to make a cheaper car for them to buy. Let every American become steeled against coddling. Americans ought to resent coddling. It is a drug. Stand up and stand out. Let weaklings take charity. This is... Like, I know it's almost trite to say this about Henry Ford, but this is just condensed business fascism. Mm-hmm. 
And I like that's also just a double down kind of thing. Business fascism and fascism are the same mm-hmm. thing. But still, it's just like, ooh, wow. This is before we even got to the Jewish question. Yeah. So we end uh, with a chapter called Things in General, which. <laughs> <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Which is just. You can tell he's like, I got to get back to whipping my workers. I can't. He's. I can't be sitting here talking to this secretary all day to write my book. He's really just rambling about random things. He talks about a friend of his who was a bird watcher. Uh, and then. Talks about how he hates Jewish people. It was really all over the place. We have heard a great deal. This For some reason, he's talking about Mexico. We have heard a great deal about the development, in quotations, of Mexico. Exploitation is the word that ought instead to be used. Sure. Okay. I'm, I mean. My eyebrows are yeah. raising. When its rich natural resources are exploited for the increase of the private fortunes of foreign capitalists, it is not development. It is ravishment. My eyebrows continue raising. I'm you, sure they won't fall back down. You can never develop Mexico until you develop the Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, how much of the development of Mexico by foreign exploiters ever took account the development as its people? Uh, the Mexican well. peon has been regarded as near fuel for the foreign moneymakers. Which, like, sure. Yeah. But the way you talk about it, bud. <laughs> Oof. Nothing will get better until we teach these people how yeah. to be. No one these has helped people. these people. Okay, I agree with the second part. So then we get racist. Oh, now? Uh, okay. I mean, even more so. Okay. I just, I know I don't have to put in this caveat because our You're gonna four listeners know that this is not what we believe. But this is a quote that I'm reading from a book from an anti-Semitic person. This is not the beliefs of... A widely regarded... The wise acres that uh, host this podcast. <laughs> there had been... A, so th- this is what he talks is the Jewish question is mm. how he phrases it. Um, and he's basically acknowledging like I think he had already gotten heat uh, from people in the world about his anti-Semitism. I think, and I, so this was his rebuttal to right, that. Right now, the only Jewish question that I have is, how much does Henry Ford, how much is he going to admit he hates Jews? That's uh, my Jewish question. Quite a bit. There had been observed in this country certain streams of influence which were causing a marked deterioration in our literature, amusements, and social conduct. Business was departing from its old-time substantial soundness. A general letting down of standards was felt everywhere. It was not the robust coarseness of the white man, the rude indelicacy, say, of Shakespeare's characters, but a nasty Orientalism, which has insidiously affected every channel of expression and to such an extent that it was time to challenge it. So he's the good guy for challenging it. The fact that these influences are all traceable to one racial source is a fact to be reckoned with, not by us only, but by the intelligent people of the race in question. If they are as wise as they claim to be, they will labor to make Jews American instead of laboring to make America Jewish. This is a different paragraph. The genius of the United States of America the genius of the United States of America is Christian in the broadest sense, and its destiny is to remain mm, Christian. I love when Christians hate charity. As for prejudice or hatred against persons, that is neither American nor Christian. Our opposition is only to ideas, false ideas, which are sapping mm. the moral stamina of the people. It's not the people that I don't like. It's just everything that they do and everything that they think and everything it's that they this, stand for. I'm not racist. It's just this dang hip-hop culture. Ugh. It was so gross. Um, so that Does was, he ever drop any slurs? 
Uh, he does not ever drop any slurs. Mm, sounds like they invented the editor. He does not. He he only re- like actually says the word like Jew or Jewish. I think twice. That one quote that I read and once other, but it's like very thinly veiled. Yeah, I'm surprised language. our dog is not howling over there. Uh huh. Um, he also really hates labor, which is fun. Let me see. I have some quotes that I marked. I know Keir Starnes is not better, as exciting as I was hoping it was going to be. What was that? I said Keir Starnes is not as exciting as I was hoping it was going to be. They really did a number on Jeremy Corbyn and it's the Labor Party in England. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm trying to read and listen to you and also I didn't get the reference. So. The trifecta. (laughs) Trifecta. Um. Really, we have no. Oh, we have no fixed classes. We have men who will work and men who will not. Mm. Um, let's see. A strike which brings higher wages or shorter hours and passes on the burden to the community is really unsuccessful. It only makes the industry less able to serve and decreases the number of jobs that it can support. I love. I really appreciate how these private businesses are serving the community. Yeah, really serving the community. Just from the goodness of their hearts. <laughs> Uh, progress, as the world has thus far known it, is accompanied by a great increase in the things of life. There is more gear, more wrought material in the average American backyard than in the whole domain of an African king. <laughs> Gross. Uh, then he said, this was really interesting for like thinking back to 100 years ago. We are growing out of this worship of material possessions. It is no longer a distinction to be rich. As a matter of fact, to be rich is no longer a common ambition. (laughs) People do not care for money as money as they once did. Certainly they do not stand in awe of it, nor of him who possesses it. What we accumulate by way of useless surplus does us no honor. So do you think that's true, Mick, in the year of our Lord 2022, that we're not interested in wealth, that we don't venerate people who have an excess of money we're not have, really striving to be rich as I, a culture. I have two yes ands to this. Uh-huh. The first is, no, we don't value money. We value pictures of monkeys. <laughs> and the second will be something like, no, I'm sure nobody will just uh, allow any sort of tech genius to implant chips in the brains of monkeys uh, without challenge for his... Susan, he's rich. He got it somehow. He got it somehow. Then it must be smart. And he's rich... And it must have been through just finding more efficient ways to work. That's how people get rich. Not through any sort of government subsidy. Anyway. Anyway. Solidarity forever. (laughs) Bring back Uh, the guillotine. So that (laughs) was... Seize the means of production. Seize the means of production. Let's throw them all in. That was uh, Henry Ford's gross autobiography and Napoleon Hill's think and be rich or whatever yeah. the fuck i gotta tell you uh that was less bad than i was afraid it was going to be i fully thought that we were going to be like uh using phrases that i mean not... we started with work will make us free with mine so yeah, but it's a it's a little scary it's a little scary not not a huge fan yeah, it is napoleon hill all right uh that is gonna isn't napoleon hill a publishing company it's mcgraw hill oh. Uh, although I do think Napoleon Hill was listed on several uh, Mystery Science Theater shorts. <laughs> no, that's Reuben Hill, because he says, Reuben Hill, you walked the fertile fields of my mind. All right. Um, that is going to do it for us on this Super Bowl Sunday. I hope you have enjoyed your Super Bowl uh, as much as we have. 
Uh, remember to always transmute your sex energy into something productive and useful. It's all about the vibe. All about the vibes, man. Remember to withhold your labor if uh, you can. That's always a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Organize and fight. <laughs> nice. You can find us on Twitter at Bibliovile. We'll be changing our bio here pretty soon. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dickie Ma. You can find me on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. The intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Good night, Tony. This episode was for you.